Hello and welcome to Beyond Survival, the New Teacher Podcast. My name is Jamie Tom. This episode today is this week's episode of Teacher Talks, which is a 15-minute talk which aims to give some practical guidance for some aspect of classroom teaching. And today, in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to have a look at the question, how do we manage behaviour at the start of a lesson? I'm going to start that exploration with a quotation from Michael Marlin's excellent book, which is called The Craft of the Classroom. And he says this about the start of lessons. Every moment of transition in the school day, every startup generates inevitable tension and so is a possible source of trouble. Probably the most difficult of these moments is the arrival of the class and probably the hardest of a secondary school teacher's jobs is the settling down of a class at the start of a new lesson. So I think any of us who've uh, stood up in a classroom and have welcomed in a new class to start a lesson know the potential challenges that we can face and the potential there is for that start of the lesson to go badly. And also it's really, really clear that what happens when that lesson does start badly for whatever reason, it can be very, very difficult to get that class back on track and get some learning going on in that classroom. So I'd like to think first of all about what we can do pre-lesson. Then we'll move on to what we can do in terms of settling off that lesson in the moment. But of course, pre-lesson is vitally important. What can we do before that class enter the room? And of course, the practical steps we can take. The first one is very simple, and it's just having a seating plan. Now, of course, clearly, young people are quite naturally going to revolt against the notion of a seating plan. They'll argue really passionately, persuasively, that if they're sat next to their best friend Esmeralda, they'll be more efficient than Steve Jobs on a good day. But whatever you say to them to counter that is probably likely to be ignored. And it's all about, I suppose, from our point of view, if we let a class sit where they want, you'll find that even the best, most well-mannered students change when they're sat beside they're chumps. And it's about the ease of that distraction. Being beside their friends makes it far easier for them to give in to that distraction. And fundamentally, if you think about this as adults, would we listen to somebody talk often about something we've got very little intrinsic interest in if we were sat next to our best friends? So we need a clear, we need a firm rejoinder to arguments we might be presented with. And my personal favourite that I've always used is in my classroom, there is always a seating plan. I decide where you sit in my room. And it's about ownership. And then it can be moved into a line like, I'm really looking forward to getting started with our lesson. Thank you. Have a seat. So something really brisk, really clear that gets the lesson started as quickly as possible. And again, simple things, but a names rich classroom is another really important form of behaviour management. So fundamentally, the more we use teenagers' names, the more confident we are with them, 
the better we are able to engage them in our instructions. And the seating plan is a secret weapon in this regard because we can scan it, we can have it there, we know who they are. Now, of course, another thing that's going to be important in that pre-lesson exploration is the quality of our planning. And our planning also needs to take on some behavioural planning. And for me, that's always worked quite well with some pessimistic visualisation. And for me, I know it sounds a bit negative, but what are the worst case scenarios? What might go wrong and how can we plan to minimise the potential for misbehaviour? And keeping opportunity for drift in the lesson plan is a good starting point for that. So making sure things are appropriately structured and not having things like unstructured group work without any real outcome because that means we're opening up for much more potential for behaviour issues. Again, simple ones, but having resources ready, making sure we're not flapping around, running around the room, looking for bits of paper, pens, pencils, having that all ready so we're subliminally communicating clarity, calm and efficiency. And again, with that clarity and calm comes from knowing the systems that are in our school inside out. Inevitably, your behavioural communication will be dictated in part by a school policy. And that's really important. You're reinforcing that and reaffirming that. And not trying to be a kind of diehard Bruce Willis renegade because that doesn't work. Now, what other things can we do? Um, for me, this might sound a bit militaristic, but it's about getting in the zone. When I worked in a really tough school in the northeast, in my in um, near Newcastle, I won't give the name of the school away, but in my training year, I was told um, that by my brilliant mentor, who was fantastic, but he told me that managing behaviour was often a war of attrition. And I was pretty idealistic. I thought I could connect emotionally with every teenager and win them open with my passion for English. But that didn't work very well. So, some young people have an innate resistance to authority and to education. And it is partly our responsibility, excuse me, our responsibility as a classroom teacher to take ownership over managing that behaviour. So that mentor told me I was being far too nice, far too kind, and I needed to, yes, have that, but also channel a steely assertiveness that's balanced with a pleasant and dignified way of communicating with young people. And you really do need to find that conviction, that clear conviction that you are not fundamentally going to be messed with. So it does require a degree of mental preparation, a kind of gladiatorial getting in the zone. And for people like myself, who are not naturally assertive, this is really important. And it all comes down to that act that's fundamentally part of being a teacher. And of course, part of that mental preparation is about recognising that you quite possibly will feel moments of anxiety, that kind of preemptive anxiety that we sometimes feel when we know a class are coming in and we know they are perhaps likely to be challenging when they enter in the classroom. And that anxiety itself is completely and utterly natural. And again, it's about channeling it into something positive when that class do appear. And for me as an anxious person, that Channeling was often what gave me 
energy in a classroom and made me really present and really kind of enthusiastic as they came in the classroom. So it's about how do you channel that energy as well as possible. So that's what you can do before the lesson itself. But then the lesson begins. So what steps can we take in the moment as that class are coming towards our classroom door, as we've channeled a bit of that steely determination, we've managed a little bit of that anxiety, we've set up the classroom really, really well, really efficiently. So the first one's really, really simple. It's just about being first. So it's about being at the door, it's about welcoming students at the, as they arrive, it's about assessing the climate of that situation as they walk towards you and they come into the classroom. And what that communicates again is that sense of ownership. And there was some really good guidance from the Educational Endowment Foundation in 21, 2021 about this. So recent research conducted, this is a quotation from them, recent research conducted with 11 to 14 year olds suggests that greeting students positively at the classroom door is not only very low cost, but a very high yield in terms of improving pupil behaviour in the classroom. Managing misbehaviour, excuse me, often occurs in schools around the start and end of lessons when moving around the school building. By intentionally promoting and practising successful transitions into the classroom, teachers are empowered to help their students to be ready to learn. By delivered consistently, greeting pupils at the classroom door can help teachers to positively and personally connect with each student, deliver pre-corrective statements to remind students of class expectations, and deliver behaviour-specific praise. Great stuff, okay, so that's really, really helpful. It gives a rationale for behind doing it. And then we need to think about, and it's very microscopic, this, but when they come into the room, we need clarity again. What are their expectations that need to be communicated really, really, really clearly? So things like where do they put their bags? What do they need to take out? What are the technology rules? What's going on with iPads, phones, etc.? What are the expectations about what they do when they sit down? Is this done in silence? Are they allowed to be communicating at this point? And then is there something like a do now task that we want students to be doing straight away so that they are right on board and into some kind of learning? So that helps, I think, to give us a little bit of clarity and to help us to structure things as they enter the room. But what do we do if, when they do come in the room, the behaviour is challenging? So I'll spend the last four minutes on that. So the first thing we need to do is make a first move. And that first move, and I know I've done this a hundred times, is often far too tentative. Um, okay, can you be quiet, please? And that's ignored, obviously. There's simple errors with this. The first is that that lovely polite request is asking a class. It's not telling them. So the power dynamic switches straight into their hands. The please is also a bit too gentle and weak in terms of what we really, really need it to be. And for the start of that lesson to work effectively, we need silence, not quiet. And we need it quickly so we can take control of the lesson itself. So this is where we get that nervous energy we discussed earlier into something magical. Teacher, 
presence. So what can we do instead of that pleading question? A countdown can be really, really helpful. And it manages a transition from a period of discussion to a period of silence. And it's really interesting how we can use volume here if the room is loud. So we can stand really still at the center point of the room. We're not kind of running around the room looking already out of control. We're standing still. We start with a really loud five. So five, attention on me, thank you. And from that five, we can go lower and lower and lower with the volume of our voice. So four, excellent, thank you, Julie. Three, a couple of people still to respond. Two, and pens down, thank you. One, all eyes this way, thank you. Now this timing gives really simple space for positive behavioral choices to be made. And it really clearly eliminates your expectations. And that slightly pleading please is replaced with a really, really clear thank you because the expectation is they will respond. Okay, so we've done the countdown. We've still got a couple of people in the room who are still mucking around. What do we do? So there we might want to follow up with some key phrases. So phrases like, I'm ready to start my lesson. Thank you. So conveying something assertive that gives control, gives authority. We're not raising our voice. We're just being really, really clear. Now, what again if these phrases don't work? What if we've still got some kids mucking around? Really at the start of the lesson, we want to keep things anonymous. We don't want to be picking fights with individuals right from the start of the lesson because then that's going to set the tone for the rest of it. So I, quite, I used to quite like a percentage when I was teaching. And the percentage, you can exaggerate the percentage. So, for example, you might say 90% of you are really focused and ready. I'd love that other 10% to be too. Thank you. Now, you can also focus that on individuals. You might say, not individual names, but you might say, I've got three people who I now really need to focus in on me so I can get started. And I'm waiting for them before I start. Because we are not kicking off until every single one of those students is with us. So we are not focusing on an individual there. We're really going for norms we've established in the classroom. And those three students might look around and see that everyone else is focused on you. And then hopefully re-engage and focus back on you. And then hopefully we've got everyone in front of us ready. We've waited. We've been still. We've used that assertive communication and we're ready to begin the lesson there. If not, that's when we might not need to start thinking about sanctions and how we apply those sanctions within our classroom space. So I really hope that's been useful. So that's a focus, as I say, on what do you do at the start of the lesson in order to make sure that it's, it's as clear, it's as transparent, and you can get things started as positively as possible. If that has been helpful, I'd really appreciate if you do pass it on to another teacher at the start of your career, start of their career. And I look forward to sharing a brilliant interview with you about how to prepare for interviews on Wednesday. So thank you so much.